everyone, and welcome to this webinar today. I'm Francis Seeley from Global Net 21 and Enfield Voices. And in this webinar, we're going to look at a, a very sort of controversial topic um, that's growing in controversy over time. And that is in climate change, many organizations, including local authorities, are setting targets that they call net zero. Now, net zero is coming under a lot of criticism because it often means that local authorities, for example, can still emit their greenhouse gases, but they can use carbon sinks like trees and other carbon sinks to offset. So they're not in effect, in effect reducing emissions. And there are some people that have called this um, monkey business. That's James Hansen's words, one of the leading climate change um, scientists in the world and Greta Thunberg has called it, uh, has said in fact that the word net can mean anything. And we're gonna explore that today. And we've got Katie English with us today. And Katie is, um, uh, you know, someone who's already done a webinar with us on health and incineration. And she's gonna go through this particular debate with us today. So welcome, Kate. Katie. Hello. I keep calling you Kate, but I must call you Katie. Welcome, <laughs> Katie. And, um, Perhaps you could just tell us, uh, just so everyone can, you know, find out again about you and what you do. What has led to your passion for tackling climate change? That's a very good question. So I am a recent postgraduate from University College London, and the degree that I did was environment politics and society. And on that degree, I produced a dissertation focused on London's toxic air health crisis. This was inspired by the um, tragic story of Ella Kissy Debra, um, who's one of the first people to have a cause of death listed as air pollution. And the dissertation explored the social, environmental and health injustices of the Edmonton incinerator, which is a big contributor to London's toxic air health crisis. And that's what's really inspired my passion for environmentalism, specifically local environmentalism. I feel like there's more work that needs to be done from the ground up. And yeah, that's what's inspired it. And I'm really, you know, looking forward to helping to engage more people in such an important discussion. Okay, well, I'm sure you will do that on this because we're gonna look at this debate about net zero versus carbon zero. Now, you know that many organizations have set targets which are based upon, you know, net zero in terms of carbon emissions. Now you like other people question whether it's that is the right way to go. Mm -hmm. Can you explain that to us? Okay, so I just had a little jargon buster just to start things off. So um, yes, so net zero refers to an emissions reduction. So that's just ensuring all emissions are balanced by greenhouse gas removals annually. However, others would argue that it's better for carbon neutrality to be the pathway to achieve net zero, which is organizational activity that results in no net effect on the climate system. So it's focused specifically on removing carbon from the Earth's atmosphere. But it's important to acknowledge that both terms focus on removing carbon from the Earth's atmosphere. So I have a little diagram actually to share with you to help explain net zero a little bit more. So I'll just go on to that now. So this is a, a diagram showing how net zero carbon may be achieved by some companies, some of the pathways they use. And you can see from one to seven, there are many different options. So there's passive optimization, reducing operational energy demand and consumption, eliminating fossil fuels, which is a big one, uh, providing on-site renewable energy and storage where possible. So uh, solar energy, wind energy, that kind of thing. Limit upfront embodied carbon, 
consider whole life carbon in conjunction with whole life costing and publicly disclosing performance, which I think is a very big one, um, annually using specific databases. I also have a diagram to show carbon neutrality. So it's basically just finding a balance. So as you can see, it's finding an equilibrium between the produced emissions and reducing emissions by offsetting. So if we go on to the specific net zero debate, there's a lot of things around this that I would like to discuss. Um, so people that are for net zero reliance would say it's fantastic, you know, it's helping change the course of history, change the climate trajectory. It helps us meet our Paris Agreement targets because as we know the IPCC has stated that we need to achieve a temperature below 1.5 degrees limiting global warming. And they would also argue that it reduces toxic air pollution and improves human health, which was a big part of my own thesis. However, others that are against net zero reliance may say things such as, you know, abating emissions from specific sectors is costly and may not meet the timescale in which they intend to achieve. Insufficient adaptation and resilience measures currently implemented to achieve targets is also a big one. And others like James Hansen argue, like we said, it's monkey business, that hitting net zero simply is not enough. Climate restoration is more effective. So there was a 2016 paper by James Hansen, which was very interesting. And it was entitled The Young People's Burden. And it's the requirement of negative carbon dioxide emissions. And what he talks about in this paper, basically, is that net zero is simply not enough. We need to do much more to save the climate, to save the people living today and to save future generations. Uh, things such as bioenergy carbon capture storage, so negative emissions technologies are costly. They have practical and ethical issues and there's uncertain feasibility with them. So that's what he discusses in this paper. So for example, in terms of costs around 89 to $553 million is what it costs to implement things like BECs and other negative emissions technologies. In terms of ethical issues, let me think off the top of my head, there's things such as land and regulation um, conflicts when it comes to things like BECs. And also it can be used for activities such as enhanced oil recovery, which is another issue within environmentalism. So overall, James Hansen argues we need more sustainable ways to achieve negative emissions. So that's the overall debate so far. Um, right, Kate, that, that, that sets uh, the, the, the tone of the debate. Now, we know that Enfield Council has gone down the road, not of carbon zero, but of net zero. Um, now, that is not the approach to it probably you would favour. But given the fact that they have gone down the net zero um, mm -hmm. approach, do you think in their own terms, they can deliver what they say? Okay, so I'll start off with looking at the Climate Action Plan that was drafted last year. So the Enfield Council's Climate Action Plan is as follows in summary. The Council intends to be carbon neutral by 2030. They intend for the entire borough to be carbon neutral by 2040. Scopes 1, 2 and 3 emissions will be targeted. So just to break that down, scope 1 refers to the direct CO2 emissions from the council. So this can be things like gas usage or vehicle fuel. Scope two refers to the carbon emitted from electricity usage in council buildings and street lighting. And scope three refers to the emissions that are outside 
of the council's control. So technically borough-wide emissions. Their focus to break down is placed on the following areas. So travel, buildings, waste, energy, and the natural environment. And they stress throughout this entire plan that collaborative action from multiple stakeholders is required to make sure that it achieves optimal results. So I thought this image was really interesting and I really wanted to share it to help visualize how this plan is moving forward with the scope one, two and three emissions. So if we look at the image a little bit closer, we can see that all emissions from council operations, the highest ones are Enfield Council housing and also 44% the capital goods. It says less than 1% is water supply. And if I go on to the next one, so this shows borough wide emissions. They say that 35% of emissions is domestic, so that refers to residential individuals. 39% is transport, they say that's a big contributor. And what I find interesting is that they say that only 2% of the current emissions is waste. From my research, I found that it was much higher and I feel like there's not enough accountability here. Like too much is being placed on the individual, but we'll dive into that a little bit later. And this is a summary of the plan itself. So what shows is the different sections that the council has split up the plan into. So it shows travel, buildings, waste, energy, and the natural environment. And if we're just to look into this a little bit deeper, it shows, you know, with the buildings, they want to increase green infrastructure. With energy, they want to achieve 100% renewable energy by 2040. Is that achievable? We'll find out later on. Uh, they want to increase biodiversity with regards to the natural environment and they want to increase shared transport initiatives for travel, which was one of the biggest contributors to borough wide emissions in the previous slide, as we see here. So, yes, this is an overall summary of some of the targets that they are aiming to achieve. And what I'd like to question is, can the council achieve all these great and amazing things in the time stated? So if we go back to the slide that I initially started off with, just with a summary of the plan, they want to be carbon neutral by 2030 and they want the whole borough to be neutral by 2040. So given all of these things, can they achieve that? And my other question is, considering these timescales, where is the immediate action? If we look at all of these different sections, like some of them refer to it being over a specific period of time, some of them don't. So use non-fossil fuel energy only from 2021 plus for the energy section. And for the natural environment, if you look at the second point, plant 100,000 new trees across the borough. But when? There isn't a specific time scale. Okay. Um, I mean, so that, that sets the scenes uh, again about what the council's doing. Yeah. Um, and and that's, uh, that, that's really important to do uh, because we obviously need to know what they're going to do and whether they're going to achieve it. So I suppose the, the, the next question to ask you is, in your opinion, what do they have to do to achieve their own limited objectives? And we're talking about net zero here. We're not mm -hmm. talking about carbon zero, which many people at James Hansen believe they should be doing and others should be doing. We're just talking about net zero. So what would they have to do to achieve their limited objectives? So there are certain things that they'll need to do to achieve these objectives. And I'll just go into that now. So one of the main things they need to do is engage with the public to achieve these objectives. So they're doing this through forms of passive and active engagement to encourage residents to adopt zero carbon lifestyles. 
And as you can see from the quote on the left-hand side of the screen, or my left-hand side, to achieve a carbon neutral borough by 2040, we need to lead a proactive agenda to change behaviours and make it easier for people to live in a way which significantly reduces their carbon footprints. So an example of this active engagement is from April 2021 onwards, the council state they will increase active engagement through phone visits, phone calls, etc. And what I found very interesting is that through the active engagement, they want to use green doctors uh, to engage specific households on energy switching and efficiency, but they don't define what specific households they aim to target which I think needs to be developed a little bit more. From that quote, we can see that they want to focus on increasing pro-environmental behaviours. But what I think when you say in terms of what the council needs to do to achieve this, to increase the engagement is they need to go back to, uh, back to the beginning and think of what is considered a pro-environmental behaviour because environmentalism is subjective. There isn't one set definition of what is considered a pro-environmental behaviour different communities will have different understandings and different ideas of how these things are supposed to go. So I feel like there needs to be more public consultation to understand what encourages people to adopt pro-environmental behaviours so they can encourage residents to adopt zero carbon lifestyles. What I believe is happening at the moment is that the council aren't focusing enough at the ground level. They aren't engaging people. They aren't understanding what they consider environmentalism to be, what they consider net zero to be, what their understanding of it is. And there needs to be more education about that, more communication, more direct engagement. And then also what I found from the plan is targeting local businesses and enterprise through the climate change partnership. So one of their main targets within this specific point is to aim to have 150 businesses in the partnership by 2030. It doesn't state what specific businesses, it just says those with the biggest carbon footprint. And I feel like there needs to be more research done into that as well. You, you feel, do you, that, uh, that, that the local authority hasn't really developed a proper community engagement yeah. strategy, is that right? Yes, I agree. I feel from my research previously, from my thesis, and speaking to people directly, and from my research into this climate action plan, I feel that there's been a lack of public consultation, of that discussion with residents to understand what they feel environmentalism is, what pro-environmental behaviours are, what they want to see in the borough, what they consider to be the biggest emitters. There's a bit of a conflict there and I feel like that needs to be explored more. And how can they do that better? What do they need to do? So there are several ways in which they can make that better. If I'm to think off the top of my head, I would say they need to have more meetings with the public from my experience when I was investigating the case of the Edmonton incinerator some of the people that I spoke to said that they had requested the council multiple times to be involved in meetings and they were rejected so I think the council needs to be more open on including the public in these meetings so that is one way also I feel like there needs to be more of these home visits more events organized by the council to show these people show the residents that they are valued that they have a voice so um, there needs to be a lot of improvement there. I, yeah. I get the feeling that not a lot is going on at the moment. They had a task committee that met and had a climate change strategy set up that you've talked about. And they've now, um, they seem to have now gone into hibernation. 
Yeah, there may be things going on in the background, but the task committee, which itself met in secret, which was a real problem, doesn't seem to be meeting again. And the environment forum, which is a good idea, has got such a huge agenda that to be able to talk about climate change is only a small part of what they do. So they really need to rethink their agenda, don't they, about Absolutely. how they're going to communicate with the public. Yes, they do. They need to start from square one essentially because it feels like there is a huge disconnect again from my studies from speaking to local residents who were angered and felt upset um all these emotions that weren't being recognized by the council because of this massive incinerator this huge project um that's been going on that's been in the planning phase for years and years and years uh, the redevelopment for their feelings to be ignored for their worries and their fears by a body that they're supposed to believe in, by you know local government that you're supposed to trust. It does create a lot of tension and a massive disconnect. So I feel, yes, as you said before, they, they need to redraft it, they need to change it, they need to be, take immediate action is what I'm trying to say. So you, you think what's happening on the incinerator is a bad precedent for the future Absolutely. in terms of consultation. Okay, so I mean, the local authority, from what you're saying, has got a lot to do. It's yes. got to actually rethink what it's doing. It's got to rethink its targets. It's got to think about whether net zero is the right sort of target. Yes. It's got to think about if it's offsetting and whether that's effective and whether it will mm -hmm. work because lots of people think offsetting don't work. Uh, and you, you talked about that now. And they've got to consult and engage the public in a much more collaborative way than they've Absolutely. done in the past. Okay, but so you've dealt with um, some of the consultation, but it's important, isn't it, that um, when you have a strategy that it's ongoing, that there is constant collaboration with stakeholders in the community. And how successful do you think the council there has been in achieving that? So in terms of the the climate action plan being feasible as we discussed you know with the public consultation how important that is that is the second part of the pyramid there is a huge disconnect and that does need to be addressed um there's also issues with accountability and funding which we did just discuss with the accountability in terms of the council acknowledging that they're not doing enough um if i just go on to the next slide so in terms of accountability we did just previously discuss the edmonton incinerator also, what I found very interesting is that there's no mention of the Greenbelt or agricultural land in this climate action plan. And that is such a big thing. Enfield is very green as a borough and they don't stay anywhere as to where they're actually going to, you know, protect the Greenbelt or specific parts of agricultural land. And we did say no media action. And as we just discussed with the disconnect, there's a lack of public consultation, minimal active engagement, misinformation in the public sphere. Sorry, bear with me one moment. So as we discussed before the Edmonton incinerator, uh, the lack of encouragement to create a sense of belonging. Sorry, Francis, I didn't discuss that earlier. From my previous research, I feel like there is a lack of encouragement from the council to show residents that they belong, show them that they have a voice, show them that their opinion matters. Um, from the research I did in the Edmonton Incinerator, as that's a specific example, many, many residents wrote to the council about their stresses. Many of them ended up writing to their local uh, representatives. Those representatives went into online meetings regarding the uh, incinerator to share the, the worries 
and these worries were rejected by the chairman of the North London Waste Authority and also the council. If we go on to misinformation in the public sphere, I also feel like that's a big one. Um, maybe we can unpick that a little bit later if we have time, but I feel like the council are not educating residents enough on certain practices that would help to reduce borough-wide emissions, like recycling. They have huge recycling targets that just, I think, aren't feasible in the timescale stated because there's not enough encouragement and there's not enough information in the public sphere of what can be recycled, what cannot. And also, if we just talk about funding, um, there's a reliance on national government within this plan to provide the funding to make it achievable. Uh, I just feel like there needs to be a reallocation of funds, given how much the council is granted annually. And they also rely on the Mayor of London for funding. So overall, should the council enact the Climate Action Plan? Well, some would argue for the plan that they are having a huge commitment to reducing carbon emissions locally. They would argue that they are acknowledging in their plan from the beginning, as we saw the initial slide about the Climate Action Plan, that all stakeholders need to be included to enact change. They are supporting changes in waste management and disposal practices, but not enough. They aim to complete all aims for the council in 10 years and for the borough in 20 years. But the people that are against it or just the points that I've discussed, there's insufficient funds supposedly to enact change, but I just believe there needs to be a reallocation of funding. There's a lack of public engagement and public support. There's still support for waste incineration for the fight in the low carbon economy. We need to phase out incineration and implement more sustainable alternatives. And there's a lack of emergency action again a lack of accountability to say although they acknowledge the climate emergency and they've addressed that on their website and on their forums they're not taking immediate action so you can say that you're going to plant 100,000 trees is that going to be more effective than something else that would help to reduce emissions and again no timescale stated so overall what should the council do to succeed take greater accountability for local environmental issues increase forms of active public engagement Passive engagement may not work, that's indirect through communications campaigns, for example, uh, and increase capacity for personal funding. So again, a reallocation of funds. They've got to do that. What about us as individuals? What can we do to make a difference so that we can effectively and quantitatively reduce emissions? I thought this was a really nice little image just to show everybody about what we can do. So some specific examples would be things such as driving less, eating local and being conscious about our food choices, flexitarianism, upcycling, reducing and reusing products. Um, yeah, reduce, reuse and recycle. But although these are things that we can do as individuals to reduce our own carbon footprint and technically reduce borough-wide emissions, it's important to acknowledge that our capacity as individuals to reduce these is much smaller in comparison to local governments and enterprise. These actors, so the council and local businesses and enterprise have greater powers and responsibilities to reduce their carbon footprint and enact climate change. And through reading this plan, I saw that a lot of pressures were being placed on residents to make changes when at the end of the day, the council has a greater carbon footprint and they need to find better and more immediate ways to reduce that. 
that's great. Now, it is important that individuals realise that they have a role to play as well. But I mean, you know, going back to, to the local authorities and not just Enfield, I mean, we mm -hmm. just don't want to pick on them, but, you know, <laughs> there has been a great move in the last uh, you know year to yes. get councils to declare a climate emergency yes and do you get the feeling that you know because they feel they have to do it because everyone's do mm. it we must do it we must jump on the bandwagon they're not really thinking it through and so they're producing what i call and it probably is an unfair description but a box standard climate change strategy because yes because they're not thinking through all the consequences of the climate change emergency. No, I completely agree with you, Francis. I mean, I'm not trying to pick on them by any means. I think it's great that they've acknowledged that there's a climate emergency and that we need to act on it. However, as you've just said, I just think they are giving a box standard answer to the problem. They aren't looking at the specifics. So yes, we have all these diagrams and visualizations and pie charts showing what the biggest contributors to emissions are but they're not going to the ground level and speaking with the public or you know taking effective immediate measures this is a climate emergency at the end of the day people people are suffering people will continue to suffer if we don't act immediately and the other thing is that you know climate change strategy if you look at what's happening in america if you look at it, yes. what's happening in some other local authorities here they're doing a, a tremendous amount more. What the Enfield, what the Enfield um, plan does not include is a lot of other things yes. that people think are essential. Adaption, for example, climate change adaption is half of the problem. Everyone's saying we've got to really concentrate on that because climate change is happening. It's going to happen, whatever. Yeah. And also climate justice. Lots of local authorities 100%. in America are looking at how they link in climate strategy with climate justice in in green new deals now there's none of that in the in the enfil plan is there and so there's a real long way to go which is why i found it interesting that they say they're going to focus on you know changing the electricity usage and uh, just at general energy usage of specific residents and communities i was thinking what what are you exactly referring to um surely you should be trying to increase engagement of communities that are currently underrepresented that are being affected by these injustices like you said focusing on climate injustice focusing, focusing on climate justice um again i don't mean to repeat myself but from the research that i did over a couple of months um for the edmonton incinerator i noticed that communities that had higher proportions of black indigenous people of color were not being you know, their voices were not being heard, they were not being recognised, they were not being represented, their pro-environmental behaviours were not being acknowledged. And I feel like that does need to change. Like you said, I think it's brilliant that other, other countries and um, other organisations within those countries are acknowledging that and, you know, tackling it and trying to, you know, create a wider discussion to target the problem. So, I mean, would your last message to be to a local authority look you know local politics is a nasty business there's lots of personal animosities there's lots of bickering yes. climate change is more important than that it's above all of yes. that you've got to work together forget your differences work with absolutely 100%. everyone i completely agree they need to welcome anyone and everyone that it can't just be a council-based thing it has to be a community thing it has to be a community vision a local vision for it to work and for it to be 100% effective. 
Okay, well, thanks, Katie. I mean, that, that's great. I mean, you've given a, a really great explanation of, of, the, of the, the carbon zero versus carbon net zero debate. You talked eloquently about what the local authority is doing. You've looked at some of the deficits in it. They're important. You've talked about collaboration. You've talked about how the community needs to be involved and how it needs to be a whole total community endeavor with everyone on board working together. Forget the politics, forget the bickering, working together in order to achieve a, a positive end because you know we are in a very dangerous situation if we yes. don't all work together okay well thanks very much for that and um you know it's been great to have you talk about this and i'm sure we'll get you talking about other things in the future as well because you, you do your research exceptionally well so thanks Thank katie for doing that and we'll uh, finish this interview and presentation now <laughs>